Welcome to the Work Camper Show, brought to you by WorkCamper.com. This podcast helps you discover how to finance your RV travel dreams. Each one of our episodes will introduce you to people who are already living the RV lifestyle or to work camping opportunities all around the U.S. You'll also learn how to hit the road the right way and make the most of every opportunity. Now let's turn over today's show to your host, Greg Gerber. Today, we'll be interviewing the owner of a company which is teaching people how to safely drive and back RVs of any type and size. As a result, he is reducing accidents and helping to eliminate the stress involved with driving and towing recreation vehicles. Today's episode is sponsored by Work Camper News. If you have more questions and answers when it comes to the work camping and RVing lifestyle, then don't worry, Work Camper News has your back. Attend a free monthly work camping Q&A webinar to get your questions answered. Each month, the knowledgeable team behind WorkCamper.com hosts a free live webinar where they answer questions submitted by folks just like you who are learning about the lifestyle, just getting started, or have been work camping for a while. They cover topics like what kind of work camping jobs are available, what do those jobs pay, tips for writing a work camper resume, questions to ask an employer, what type of RV is best, and how to get your mail as an RVer, and much, much more. In the description of each video, you'll find the questions that were answered so you can quickly jump to the sections you want to hear. Register for the next live webinar at workcamper.com forward slash answers. Or listen to detailed answers now by watching the recordings of past Q&A webinars on the Work Camper News YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash workcamper and click on the Q&A on Work Camping playlist. George Mayleben served as an instructor at the RV Driving School for eight years until he took over the company in 2011. The company has grown considerably since that time. Today, there are 107 independent instructors teaching students in nearly every state. In addition to teaching people how to drive RVs, the school also teaches people to operate commercial vehicles such as bloodmobiles and bookmobiles. In fact, the company can provide training on how to safely operate any type of RV from big Class A diesel pushers to smaller pop-up campers. The training George's company provides is invaluable because RV owners do not get any lessons on how to drive motorhomes or tow RVs from dealers after purchasing a unit. Often the need for driver training is hampered by a misguided belief that people should know how to handle an RV because they've been driving for years. But there's a big difference in the dynamics involved in driving a vehicle with a long wheelbase compared to even the largest SUV. Another frequent problem is that generally one person does all the driving, but the spouse or partner has no idea how to do it safely. It becomes a problem when the primary driver is sick or injured and can't drive. Then the partner is thrust into an uncomfortable situation of figuring it out under pressure. There are many situations for which our beers need to be prepared in advance to address. Driving in the mountains is one because it is not safe to keep applying brakes to slow an RV. Doing so will cause brakes to overheat and stop working. Another situation is learning how to navigate around fuel stations without damaging the RV or the pumps. Because RVs have such a long wheelbase, many RVers find themselves in embarrassing or unsafe situations due to the wide tail swing which occurs when turning. To tell us more about why people need training to learn how to safely drive an RV or how to go about getting lessons, please welcome George Mayleben, the owner of RV Driving School, to the show. Thanks for joining me today, George. I really appreciate the time. Nobody really talks about RV driving. The dealers present somebody with a brand new RV. 
and they are expected to know how to tow it and how to drive it down the road. So tell us, how did the RV driving school come about? First of all, it was a creation of a fellow by the name of Dick Reed in 1991. Dick, in his wisdom, realized that in too many cases, the dealers, again, tossed the keys to the individual, and then they went out and had to get familiarized by just banging into things, climbing curbs, doing a variety of things that caused damage to the rig. Dick originally created it, as I say, in 1991, and at the time, basically enlisted friends of his, and, and we were basically a California and Arizona company at the time, and had, and he enlisted eight individuals. The school flourished, but again, in so many cases, we could not take care of some of the people who live in, what, those other locations other than Arizona and California. Florida was one place that we were always getting calls, at least whenever I took over the school, and we had nobody there. And so we have gradually enlisted more individuals. The school was handled and owned by Dick until 2006. And in 2006, a fellow by the name of Dennis Hill took over the school. I actually taught for him for about I think about eight years and enjoyed it, enjoyed teaching people. But I realized, especially with my business background, that this really needed to move to the next level. People need help. We all recognize the problem. In 2000, Dennis called me up and he said, would you like to buy the school? And I had been to commenting to him, let's expand the school. In 2011, we took over the school. My basic mission at that point was to bring on more individuals and again, from different parts of the U.S. We've grown. We now have 107 instructors all over the U.S. And most of them are retired individuals who, again, came to us with the idea that they'd like to aid individuals in being safe on the road. That's a, I think many of the truckers, again, have critiqued the lack of, or at least some of the difficulties that they see of people on the road. And whenever they did retire, and, and as they say, many of them are retired, they again recognized that they could be of assistance. With that in mind, though, we now have 107 instructors, as I indicated, including one instructor in Hawaii. And in and out of Alaska, every once in a while, we get one of the guys up there. We help the individual who buys an RV, big RV, but also the end of it, we, we do a lot of commercial lessons. We do blood mobiles, mobiles, and a variety of other commercial vehicles that are based on RV type underpinnings. Well, that's very interesting. So do you just focus on motorhomes or do you do help people learn how to back up their travel trailers as well? Yes, we do. We handle just about every kind of RV in it. Initially, whenever I took over the school, there was a lot of concern over those people who, again, bought either large towables or small towables. And at one point we were reticent to take on lessons, especially with given some of the problems associated with 
the safety issues of towables opened the door to every RV, and I've not regretted it. In so many ways, the I don't care whether it's a big, small, or wide, tall, or long, or heavy. The reality is people need help. I want to make sure that you understand that we are viewed and view ourselves as a service business. We are there because people need us. It's been, yeah, we are a profit-making company, and the reality is the need has been so apparent that we try to fill that need. I visited with some of the manufacturers, and they're keenly aware of what we are, who we are. They're a little reluctant to, again, get into showing our banners and doing advertising for us, but they are keenly aware of the fact that you, we provide a very valuable service to the industry. I would imagine the problem stems from the industry trying to avoid any type of additional requirements that would hinder the sale of an RV. So if the industry was required to offer training, driver training, or special licenses were required to operate these big rigs, the industry would be fighting that tooth and nail. So what they do is they allow people to take over these brand new RVs or used RVs, and they don't have any experience or clue how to operate them. I can imagine that a lot of people have problems in figuring out how to drive or especially tow an RV. And Greg, that again, indicative of the larger problem. We are trying to cover the continental U.S. and as I indicated, Hawaii and Alaska. But the problem sometimes is being available and having or people having a knowledge that there is a place that they can go to get help. And hopefully even with this, as we may alluded to earlier, we're trying to spread the word that there is a place you can go. And so as much as possible, we would hope anyway, this interview will be a catalyst uh, for some people finding out that there is a place to get help. How much of not getting the help do you think is driven by the fact that people are embarrassed to admit that they don't know how to drive a motorhome after they've been driving a car for decades? Greg, that's really a big problem. The average male really believes in his heart that this is something that I should be able to handle. And often they can't. But sometimes, especially given the fact that they've never driven a long wheelbase uh, vehicle. There, there are intricacies and problems associated with trying to even center up in the lane, take a corner without climbing a curb. And we, we really pride ourselves on one thing. We have and the staff on hand that has the background and can sit in the passenger seat and critique the driving skill and give them the necessary particulars to Again, be safe. Take great deal of pride in that. Safety is huge. One thing people don't realize is the stopping distances that are required with a motorhome or even towing a fifth wheel or large travel trailer. It changes the dynamic. And so they expect to be able to stop as quickly as they can with their car. And they do not. They go many yards beyond that before the vehicles come to a stop. Exactly. Compounding the problem, too, is many of the people that we help, and I want to emphasize the word help, 
It's a little bit hard to, again, discuss with uh, an individual of perhaps advanced age that they're going to go through a lesson. We try to address it as a, we're going to try to help you be safe. And it sounds like a little bit of a game on words, but we are there to try to help the individual be safe. What kind of services do you provide to RVers? First of all, the primary role of the school is, I try to make sure that everybody understands, we are there to help them drive. So we're not there to, again, present a videotape. We're not there to, again, hand out a book. We're not there to hand out a sheet that outlines these things. We're behind the wheel instruction. We take them out onto the road. We, we critique what they're doing. We want to make sure though that the lesson, typically it's two, four hours or two, six hours a day sessions. That time is wisely spent on the road, actually driving the vehicle, not again, talking to them, but critiquing what they do and how they drive the vehicle. Our basic or the thrust of the school is just that getting them behind the wheel and making sure that they know the safe, the issues associated with safe, safely operating the vehicle. We do put on seminars. I'm uh, going to be at the Newmar rally in, in Sedalia uh, in a couple weeks, and I'll be putting on some seminars. The seminars are basically, in many cases, just stimulate thought, thinking about safe driving. One of the other missions, though, at the Newmar rally and many of the other rallies that we put on seminars is to encourage the partners to drive the RV. One of the things that happens is that all too often, the one individual and a couple, for a couple, one of the individuals does or has a lot of driving background and experience. But the partner, in many cases, has been an observer. And then should there be medical issues that develop or problems associated with getting from point A to point B, long trips, spelling the individual, the primary driver. But the second seminar that we put on at many of the rallies is to encourage the partner to, again, get the experience behind the wheel. The last thing we want is to have some medical event occur and the partner is there saying, my God, I can't handle this thing. I have no idea how to even disengage the air brake system as an example. So again, twofold primary mission. One is driving the, or a, a safe driving seminar about some of the relevant concerns of driving a large vehicle. And then the second seminar that we typically put on is to encourage partners to again, get into an experience driving. That is so important because we have all heard stories about the primary driver breaking a leg, spraining a leg or a knee or something like that, and not able to get them behind the wheel to move the RV and the partner being lost as to what to do. And now they're really in a conundrum because they have to go somewhere the partner doesn't have an idea on how to operate the rig. So I think that's very good advice for partners 
to also learn how to do the, to drive the RV or to tow it. This secondary ed- educational function that we've really encouraged manufacturer rallies and manufacturer rallies, invite us. And incidentally, I want to get invited. I don't want to push myself into anybody's rally, but we want to make sure that we have people on staff who are ready and skilled at presenting some of these relevant concerns, both safety and getting encouraging partners to drive. But we put on a lot of them and we're going to be, or we just finished the renegade rally and spearfish just off the coat of we were very honored the FMCA invites us to all of their international events. And we put on five the wheel lessons and a lot of seminars for them. But it, this is the second facet of the business. But remember again, the primary business model is making sure that we get competent people sitting in the passenger seat to aid and, and evaluate and make sure that good driving, safe driving techniques are employed. You had mentioned that the students learn how to drive on the road. Does it actually start by going down the street or in the highway, or do you start in a parking lot where people can get comfortable behind the wheel? Greg, that's a very important point. We are helping people who have widely varied experience levels. Some of the people have never driven anything bigger than an SUV. Other people have driven on occasion a U-Haul truck or a, have had a truck, some heavy vehicle background. But each of our lessons is adapted to the need of the individual. The problem that we see often is if we had a lesson plan, as an example, that puts people who have a fair amount of background in a position of what not gaining a great deal from the lesson. Conversely, the individual who has nothing, no other experience other than an SUV, but a position of, hey, I really need help. It may be very simple, just driving out of the lot and making sure that they understand long wheelbase is gonna require a discipline or at least a different approach to and making the corner. So again, all of our lessons are very much customized to the individual. I would imagine that would be very helpful because the individuals each have different needs and different levels of experience. So there's no one size fits all kind of thing. You'd mentioned the wheelbase as being something that you're trying to instill to RV drivers that things are going to change because we see that all the time as they're trying to turn corners down here in Arizona where they actually cut it too short and they wind up on the curb. And when they wind Mm -hmm. up on the curb, they sometimes wind up in in the traffic signals themselves. And that's not a good thing at all. What other kinds of things do our viewers learn during the training? In in so many ways, it it really is a very adapted uh, lesson. If the individual is, we talked a little bit earlier about trailer vehicles. Uh, if it's a trailer vehicle, much of the lesson is going to be spent trying to show the people how to back the individual or the uh, trailer, uh, without the uh, collision between the cab of the pickup and the side of the fifth wheel, as an example. But to your 
concern there, again, it assumes that there is a, this is what we're going to, or these are the things specifically that we're going to cover. We have seven broad things that we want to cover with an individual. In so many ways, though, the real coup de gras is how do you drive in the mountains? Greg, these people have gone out. And a lot of them have spent an inordinate amount of money to buy these large vehicles. And the, the dream is to travel the U.S. with it. And if you're going to drive the whole U.S. and you're going to go to a place like Moab, Utah, and you're coming from Massachusetts, so I'm going to tell you, you're going to need to get acquainted with mountain driving. And so the Kute Ra, if you will, the final part that I insist every instructor spend a lot of time talking to the individual about is keeping that vehicle under control in mountains. This is the, I don't want to say the essence of the lesson. It is that one of the most important parts because the dream, their dream of going to these different parts of the U.S. is automatically or precludes or means that they're going to, again, be in mountains. And if they're going to be in the mountains, God forbid, they don't understand how to keep the, or decelerate the vehicle using jade brakes, exhaust brakes, proper technique and uh, not riding the brake, things of that. But perhaps I'm not answering your question as directly as you would like, but our lessons, as I say, are very much adapted to the individual and the situation that we encounter when we actually meet them, when we meet them and we sit down and we have a little bit of a discussion about their background. I would imagine that you go into things like lane drifting because it's so easy to do in those big, heavy vehicles. And when you're towing RVs, et cetera, that's also a problem with the back end moving a little differently if they don't have the equipment in there to stabilize that. So do you teach that kind of thing to people? Oh, absolutely. And Greg, one of the the things that is, sounds a little trivial, but getting into the pump islands at Afula. Yes. I'm going to tell you that when I go to an RV park and I'm out walking the dog at night, inevitably, no, I shouldn't say inevitably, I look for people who have swing out damage. Swing out damage is damage done whenever they, they drive into the service station directly. It's an easy approach typically to get into the station, but getting away, typically there's a 90 degree turn and the islands are always protected with a substantial a post or something like that. And if you swing too broadly and you have a long or a tail end of the vehicle that swings, it, it can cause some uh, significant damage in the rear end of the vehicle. But some of this is again, very much a, let's get out and roll. Let's get this vehicle out. And we want to teach you some of the things that are obvious, but very relevant. And sometimes it's, <laughs> A little thing like the horn on the roof. Many of the RVs, uh, especially the bigger ones, have the air horns on the roof. And my, my comment is, have you ever heard that thing? Have you ever blasted that horn? And when you get into an intersection and you're driving a large vehicle like we're driving, and that light is about to change from green to red, And you're going through that intersection because you got caught between. You better be ready to use that blast them on the road. 
those horns on the roof. And even if it's a weak need horn under the hood, people will need to be aware that some of the safety devices. When we're in Miami, everybody uses their horn. But I'm from Minnesota, and Minnesota nice, you don't halt your horns. And but it's a safety device. And some so so some of the lesson is consumed with some practical matters. Sounds inconsequential, but it is consequential to the overall safety of the person driving that rig. I know I learned the hard way that you cannot back up a motorhome if you have a towed vehicle behind it. That was something that was never explained to me. And first time I tried it, I just screwed it up tremendously. You couldn't do it. So there are many times, like you had mentioned, in the driving lanes or the fuel lanes, where I'd get into a situation that because I was turning too sharply, my towed vehicle was about to encounter those big pipes and concrete barriers that protect the pumps. So I would have to unhook the towed vehicle in order to move. It was just a complicated process. And having that kind of instruction would have saved me a lot of headaches and embarrassment. You're getting to a point, though, that I'd like to make here. And it is patience. In so many ways, our being really requires a discipline that says, I have to be patient. I have to be aware of the fact that sometimes I have to unhook and move the vehicle out of the way in a a proper manner. But sometimes I'm going to have horns honking at me. Sometimes I'm going to have people gesturing, not politely. And the reality is that, that this is part of the lesson that we hope people pick up on as the lesson goes on. You're going to have extreme patience. In an SUV or a car, the family car, you can get away with a lot. But sometimes you're going to get into an intersection where in order to make the right turn, the completion of the turn is being interfered with by traffic approaching the light. And you're going to have to wait until that person in the car blocking your path, you're going to have patience until that individual moves. And again, the somewhat sad commentary with many of us as males is that our patience level isn't too, uh, too great. And if you get impatient with that, I'm, I'm sorry, but this can be a result in some not good results. That's an excellent point, George, because I think people, RVers, have to understand that they also have a right to be on the road and that when they're operating their vehicle, they have to feel comfortable doing so. They should not feel rushed because that's when mistakes happen and that's when accidents occur. I've adopted a term, and incidentally, I've been involved in automotive safety all the way back to the 1970s. And one of the terms that I've adopted is, I call it accommodation. In accommodation, I used to fly a small aircraft. And whenever you're in the air, you give way to the larger commercial uh, planes. On the ground, we are the vehicles that need accommodation. At times, we need people to get out of our way. And that accommodation means that we really have to have that patience to expect and the need, the need is very apparent and you're going to have to wait until things clear up, until the situation is safe to proceed. Where is RV Driving School headquartered? 
I'd like to believe anyway that I could say that Olathe, Kansas, where I'm located, is the headquarters. But in reality, for 10 years, we were full-timing and we ran the business out of the back of a 42-foot Monaco Camelot. And it's very fluid. Our people, our instructors are, in many cases, full-timers who, again, enjoy the North in the summer, and you can imagine where they end up in the winter. Right here in Arizona. wheels. Yes. (laughs) You said you had doctors. Does that mean that you can provide uh, driving services pretty much in every state? It's very fluid. Our instructors have the great luxury of being being able to say, if I'm in, in Duluth, Minnesota, I can put on the map, if you go to our website, rvschool.com, rvdry.com, you can see a map and the icons on that map are very fluid. So if an instructor is in Duluth, that individual can say, hey, I'm available for lessons during whatever period. Uh, to answer your question, though, would like to believe any way that we have good coverage across the whole 48 contiguous uh, states. But I've got to tell you that, as I say, in the summertime, we got a lot of people north and nobody's or limited number in the south. And conversely, during the uh, winter months, our people, though, uh, again, have the great luxury in large part to have an RV and to be able to post where they're going to be or where they are. It's changing though all the time. People need to have an RV before they can go through driving school, correct? It's not something that they take before they purchase their vehicle. Absolutely. One of the problems we saw initially, we had people come to us and they say, I'd like to rent an RV and get, find out what it's like to drive an RV. And I've discovered it because inevitably the RV that you rent, that you can afford is not the vehicle that you ultimately end up with. And the discipline associated in handling that rental RV is going to be quite a bit different likely than the discipline necessary to keep the, or to drive the vehicle that you ultimately buy. We encourage people to wait until they're ready to commit. And, and whenever they make the commitment, we try to make sure that we have somebody available to aid them, even off the lot in a lot of cases. Should people take refresher courses, especially if they're changing RV types, like going from a motorhome to a travel trailer? Oh, you bet. I would say perhaps as many as 20% of the people that we help are people transitioning. Maybe they drove or had something as small as a, a pop-up. They might've had a, a small travel trailer. And now all of a sudden, questions say all of a sudden, they go out and they buy a class A diesel pusher. But we do a lot of the, okay, you're upgrading. You've got some basic knowledge of the Thetford toilet, some of the basics of the RV, but now you need to get acquainted with the safety issues of driving that that larger vehicle. We have a lot of people though, that have gone through three, four transitions, starting with something very simple. And again, going to perhaps a class C, then to a class A. And incidentally, we're seeing a lot of class A's people are coming back, coming down to class B's all of a sudden. And and we happen to be one of those uh, couples 
I don't know whether you can see in the background, uh, it's not very clear in the picture, but on the right is our Camelot and on the left is the current class B that we own and drive around in. That's neat. I think it's important to, to note that this is individualized instruction. It's not like they're going back to high school and signing up for driver education where they're going to be doing classroom training and then behind the wheel. Everything is behind the wheel from day one, correct? Absolutely. And again, this is the thing that has held us in high esteem in the industry. Books might be help individuals, but the reality of I've got the steering wheel, I've got the pedals, and now I'm driving. That's whenever the it really becomes important that they have a clear understanding of what it what you're doing and the safety issues are now very relevant. And is it a situation where the instructor is providing one-on-one -on -one training with those RV owners only? They're not like two or three couples going through training at the same time. Yeah, you know, sometimes we've gotten into what we call adapted lessons. We've had a couple cases where we're teaching a whole family. Let's call it the, the husband. He is the primary one to, that we put on the lesson for, but he may have some adult kids that want to travel with him. And we will go through and for wives, but we'll adapt lessons to the particular needs of an individual. The base program though, that we put on is two, four hours for a single individual or two, six hour days for two individuals. And incidentally, I want to mention that it's very important that for the two days, we find in many cases, the first day, especially wives, uh, that, that are taking out a lesson the night before their first lesson, they don't sleep well. And they'll tell us that, that I'm a little bit on, I'm really uncomfortable doing this. And, but during that first day, we try to make sure that slow driving, getting a lot of mundane things taken care of, and then say to the individual, and I used to tell people we're helping. The homework assignment tonight is you need to get parked and get behind the wheel and just imagine what it would be like if you were driving in Moab to Moab, Utah. What would you do? Where are the buttons? What are the relevant buttons? What are the relevant things that I would do to downshift? The second day is really where we accelerate out onto the freeways and uh, take on ingress and egress from freeways, the elements of blending, merging, things of that nature. That's a very good point before the training begins to even sit behind the wheel and learn how to adjust the mirrors. Well, one of the things that we've had a, a number of people who, who, as an example, and frequently from women, I'm not mechanically inclined. Therefore, I'm not too sure I can handle the RV. And my response is every once in a while, Valerie, my wife leaves me alone and I have to get use a washer and dryer. And if you can figure out a washer and dryer, and it's a danger for her to leave me alone, you, you can figure out how to operate it. But there are a lot of things that go into and are relevant as the individual kind of assesses whether or not they feel they can handle it. And my message that's going to be at the 
Numa rally in a few weeks for the women or the partners. And incidentally, we have a lot of gay partners that we instruct, but the reality is you can do it. You can do it. You're, it's not one of these monumental tasks that is going to challenge. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine, especially. And incidentally, I'd like to emphasize one thing, safe driving. If a person has a safe driving record, highly likely they're going to be safe behind the wheel of an RV, but they are going to have to get acquainted with the intricacies of that vehicle. Can I share a little story? Of course. I received a call one time, this is a few years ago from a woman doctor. And she said to me, she's just, my father wants to buy an RV. And she says, I don't know whether he can handle that RV. What will, how do you feel about somebody that's 75 years old buying an RV? And my comment to her was, okay, now has he had any accidents in recent past? Has he had any tickets? She went through and we went through a list of concerns that I have as a, somebody who is involved in automotive safety for a long period of time. And she kept responding. He's a really good, safe driver. He said, and what are you worried about? This individual is going to be likely going to be a great student for us to again, iron out the necessary details of the safe operation. But there are family concerns when, when this, so many of our, the folks that we help are not young and they, they are putting a lot of money out with the idea that they want to have that dream fulfilled. And, but my comeback always is we're going to make sure that as best we can, we're going to make sure that you understand the complexities of the vehicle and understand how to safely operate that vehicle. Good point. You had mentioned that you will also provide training for the adult children of the RV owners. What about teenagers? Would you do, would you encourage any licensed driver to get behind the wheel of an RV? That's a complicated question. It is. My kids, oh, my kids are awesome. There'd be no problem. It's the pride of a father. I'm not too sure that I really would necessarily say that every Teenager is going to be capable behind the wheel. The skills and their ability to react to situations is going to be there. Their adaptability and teachability is going to be there. But I really, uh, you really need to have somebody who, what the individual really has to be somebody that's basically a responsible teen. We've had a couple of experiences where the individual drove too fast. And, and there is that temptation, especially whenever we get an instructor sitting in the passenger seat, that a lot of the male individuals want to show off to the instructor. And so in many cases, we, we say, I'm sorry, but we really have to get an understanding that this is not something that we take to the Indianapolis 500. And so we, we do spend a fair amount of time just trying to get everything properly or attitudes properly adjusted, whether they're a teen or whether they're a senior, male, female, gay partner, whoever it is, we need to have an understanding early on. 
Incidentally, one of the things that we encourage, especially if we're putting on a lesson uh, for the secondary driver, often let's just say that we're teaching or helping a woman who is uh, trying to get acquainted with driving the RV. Uh, we encourage the spouse to ride along. All too often, we get into, we're the instructor, you are the spouse, and we have to have a discussion of you're here to, again, observe, but not to instruct your spouse. And sometimes we joke a little bit about, we carry duct tape along and I'll leave it to your imagination where the duct tape ends up if the husband or the spouse is too, or it gets a little bit too critiquing. That's funny. How much does it cost for training on a typical basis? Typical lesson is five ninety five for two or for a two four hour days, eight ninety five for uh, two six hour days. I want to emphasize one thing: we're not inexpensive. The problem that I encountered initially, and being a business school graduate, you're very sensitive to the pricing of your service. We want to make sure that people understand that if you've gone out and bought this multi $100,000 vehicle or something as cheap as $10,000, it probably would be best that you take and add on to the cost of a lesson. But sometimes in order to keep and have a staff that's well-trained in, in the quality of what we offer, I finally, or I've felt very, it's very important to price and to make sure that the price is not excessive but not something that is easily dismissed. I want top quality people. I want a top quality experience for the people who come to us. I do not want, nor will I tolerate anything less than a great safe driving experience for the people who come to us. Are you accepting applications for people who may want to become instructors? Absolutely. And I've, I've, we have a site or on our website, often the very right side of the primary screen is an opportunity for people to apply. I do have two stipulations before they even start. First of all, they have to have heavy vehicle background. Most ideally they've driven perhaps the likes of a semi. So that that's very relevant because then they understand the tubability you have to be very cognizant of what intersection problems, wheelbase problems. The second part of it is we insist that they have RV experience because the last thing we want to have is somebody that, again, has all of the skills to teach, but have no real understanding of, the, of what an RV is and the particulars of the modern RV. Our RVs are getting very I don't want to say unique, but they certainly are not the same as the cab of a 18 wheeler. And therefore, whenever the individual who we bring on staff has to have that, that excellent heavy vehicle background and a knowledge of where the industry is and some of the complexities, as an example, slider pin boxes are becoming a necessity with uh, some of these crew cab pickups and fifth wheels. So again, it's very important that they have a fairly a good understanding of what 
is the modern or what the modern RV is. Where can people get more information about the services that you provide or to even schedule uh, some training? RVschool.com, excuse me, is the RV, the website. And on there was a map. And if they click on the locations, they'll see a map of all of the locations. And if they click on each, or if they have a, what, if they want to have a, a lesson in Shreveport, Louisiana, and there's an icon there, they click on it, they'll see the instructor and the available time, any stipulations of, as it relates to the getting the services of that instructor. Very good. Thank you so much for this information, George. This has been very informative, and I hope other people take advantage of this opportunity to learn how to safely drive their motorhomes and tow their fifth wheels and travel trailers. I want to thank you, Greg. As I say, one of the greatest things that I would hope comes out of this is a knowledge around a group or a, with a lot of people that they're going to see this that there is a place you can go to get competent advice and counsel to be safe, a safe driver. I'm glad I had an opportunity to interview George Mayleben, the owner of RV Driving School, about the need for training and how easy it is for people to take lessons. Because there are 107 independent instructors working in nearly every state, it is relatively easy to get training at times which are convenient for RVers. Many of the instructors are experienced RVers as well. When providing training, RV Driving School always likes to include couples. Lessons are provided during either two four-hour days for individuals or two six-hour days for couples. The cost is $595 for a solo RVer or $895 for a couple. All of the training is provided behind the wheel meaning that RVers don't sit in a classroom and watch videos. The sessions are created around the individual needs of the RVers themselves. For example, George said about 20% of students are either downsizing or upgrading the type of RV they own. Since the RVers are already familiar with driving a vehicle that has a long wheelbase, the training would pay more attention to the dynamics of the particular vehicle they just purchased. In addition to teaching driving strategies, instructors also address frame of mind when people are behind the wheel. When operating a big vehicle, other drivers sometimes do silly things, like cut people off or pressure RVers to move faster than they're comfortable driving. In those situations, patience is needed. George reminds RVers they have just as much right to be on the highway as other vehicles, and they should drive as fast or as slow as they are comfortable driving. RV Driving School is also looking for experienced drivers who want to be instructors. They must have experience operating heavy vehicles as well as driving RVs. To find an instructor near you, visit www.rvschool.com. People who are interested in being instructors will find more information at www.rvschool.com forward slash instructor application. Today's episode is sponsored by WorkCamper News. With its diamond and platinum membership tools, WorkCamper News is much more than just a job listing website. When you put the tools of this professional service into action, you'll find out just how easy it can be to turn your work camping dreams into reality. The one-year memberships open the door to a one-stop shop for all things work camping. Being the original resource for work camping, you'll find the largest number of job listings, be able to connect with a community of work campers, 
and view resources compiled by experts who've been enjoying the RV lifestyle for many years. If you're serious about leading a successful and enjoyable work camping lifestyle, then a Diamond or Platinum membership is for you. You can even get started with a free 30-day trial by visiting workcamper.com forward slash trial. Embark on new adventures today with the support of Work Camper News behind you. That's all I have for this week's show. Next week, I'll be talking to the CEO of a company that specializes in building RVs with innovative living and working spaces. So tune in next week for more information. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Work Camper Show.